real quick before we get into tonight's stories. If you want to have a fun little laugh after uh, listening to these scary stories, be sure to stay after the second one. There are going to be bloopers for this video because my cat decided to be very mouthy this morning. And um, I don't know. It got a little chuckle out of me, so I figured I'd share it with everyone. Stick around to hear it. I couldn't shake this overwhelming sense of dread as the Cardinal led me further and further beneath the Vatican. He barely acknowledged me, and the only time he spoke to me was to tell me to hurry up. We'd recently passed through a room filled with priests who had been praying over a constant flow of dark liquid that flowed through the room. Many of them looked exhausted, and I could see a hint of madness in some of their eyes. I was lost in my own thoughts, and almost ran into the cardinal who had suddenly stopped halfway across a gangway that hung above the monstrous cavern that stretched as far as the eye could see. The cardinal gestured for me to peer off the gangway, and my heart caught in my throat. I moved forward and looked down. The monstrous creature lay on the ground far below. He was bright red, with scars covering every inch of his flesh. Giant restraints held him in place, and there was a mask covering his mouth. There were two extra limbs on his shoulders that ended in stumps, and I couldn't help but wonder if they'd once been limbs. I almost jumped out of my skin when the cardinal tapped me on the shoulder and told me to follow him. We climbed into a nearby elevator and plunged down toward the demon. I couldn't take my eyes off it, as its proportions got bigger the closer we got. We reached the bottom and emerged into scenes of panic. Hundreds of priests were running around carrying crosses and holy relics and placing them on the demon's flesh. I saw the same dark liquid from earlier flowing through the restraints and it hissed and boiled when it came into contact with the demon. A loud rumble shook the cavern as I was thrown to the ground. The rumbling quickly subsided and I pushed myself to my feet to see everyone around me staring fearfully at the demon. I followed their gaze to see the demon had managed to free one of the hands and was trying to rip the mask off. Priests were surging toward the demon in a futile bid to stop it. I watched in terror as the demon tore the mask off and let out an ear-splitting screech. I was forced to cover my ears as the screech reverberated through my head and felt like it was going to tear apart my skull. My eyes widened in terror as the heads of the priests nearest to him exploded from the sound. They sank to the ground amidst a pool of brain particles and gore, and my attention shifted to the demon's mouth as dozens of flying black insects emerged. I recoiled as I saw that even though their bodies were like insects, their faces were identical to an infant child. They flew through the air and converged on the bodies of the dead priests. They crawled into the open wounds and the bodies began twitching uncontrollably. The demon's screech slowly died down and only sounds seemed to be the pounding of my heart. I backed away in shock. As the dead priest's bodies rose to their feet and began advancing. I was roughly pushed to the side as men dressed in white rushed past me armed with water pistols. They aimed the water at the priests and began unleashing a torrent of water on them. Their flesh began burning and the ones at the front melted into yellow puddles on the floor. There were just too many of the possessed priests and the men in white were quickly overwhelmed. 
Their heads were then unceremoniously torn off and were quickly inhabited by one of those flying bugs that were still emerging from the demon's mouth. Pandemonium was occurring all around me as people were running around like headless chickens. Someone rushed up to me and placed a water pistol in my hand before trying to rush off. I reached out and grabbed him and asked him what I was supposed to do with this. He rolled his eyes, told me it was holy water, and to use it to defend myself. He then shook my grip before running off around the corner. I heard a sound behind me and turned around to see a possessed priest reaching for me. I dodged his grip and sprayed the pistol onto his torso. I stood there, transfixed as it tore a hole through his body before he sunk down to the ground and turned into a yellow hissing liquid. I looked around to see that almost everyone was either dead or turned into one of those things. I spotted the cardinal who led me down here, lying a few feet away with his limbs scattered about the place. I reached across the ground, dodging the outstretched hands of dead people and stepping over the bodies that lay strewn across the place. I stepped on a lump of intestines, almost slid into one of the possessed, but managed to catch my footing before it could ensnare me in its deadly grip. I climbed the elevator onto the gateway as the demon below let out another screech. I risked a peek toward, just in time to see thousands more of those flying insects surging upwards in all directions. I rushed across the gangway while having to roll out of the way as the possessed plunged from the ceiling on all sides of me. I reached the far end of the gangway with the sounds of pursuit close behind. I spotted an emergency release button at the end of the gangway and instinctively pressed it. Gangway didn't even make a sound and plunged to the ground far below with the possessed clinging on. It took a minute or two to catch my breath before deciding to take one last look into the cavern. I almost jumped out of my skin as the possessed had managed to climb back up silently and were now mere feet away. I dashed down the corridor before emerging into the room with the black liquid from earlier to find it lined with the men dressed in white. They were armed with water cannons and were aiming toward me. I flung myself to the ground just in time as a deluge of water flew over my head and struck my pursuers. I crawled forward through the throng of people and only stopped when I was on the far side. The possessed were being whipped out in mass and the holy water tore through their bodies. I began to celebrate as the last of the possessed was now nothing but an oozing liquid on the floor. Something moving down the tunnel caught my eye, and a cold sense of dread filled me as I saw it was filled with thousands of the insects. I shouted out a warning, but it was already too late as the insects spilled out of the tunnel and flew in all directions. The people around me began spraying in all directions, but it was no use as there was just too many of them. I started targeting people who had gotten separated from the others before lifting them into the air and using their wings to chop off their heads. Their bodies were dropped to the floor and quickly possessed. My legs refused to move as I stood there watching as the insects circled the last group of survivors. They'd managed to put up a strong resistance and were surrounded by the bodies of countless insects. I finally regained the use of my legs and began to sneak away while no one was paying attention to me. I took one last look backwards as I reached the far door, just in time to see the insects launch an all-out attack on the survivors. They didn't stand a chance. They were torn to shreds in seconds. I fled up narrow corridors and through rooms that looked like they'd been occupied until recently. I passed the bodies of a number of insects who must have found a quicker way up. 
Their bodies were riddled with bullet wounds as the priests had decided to resort to more practical weaponry. I ran into another room and collided with a giant of a man who towered over me. He dragged me to my feet and demanded to know if there was anyone else still alive down there. A look of grief crossed his face momentarily as I told him that everyone else was dead. He ushered me past him and began shouting orders at hundreds of men in white who were spread across the room. I let out a scream as a thunderous explosion shook the room and I looked back to see the tunnel I just emerged from was now sealed. I looked around to see that everyone around me was armed with flamethrowers, rocket launchers, and numerous other high-powered weaponry. The giant metal door reminiscent of a safe at the far end of the room caught my attention. It was at least ten feet thick, and I knew this was their last defense. I spun around at the sound of dirt falling and held my breath as something was moving beneath the sealed tunnel. The commander shouted out an order and water began spraying from above, soaking me to the bone and covering the ground in a layer of water. The dirt was cascading downward and I jumped as a child's head emerged. One of the others was going to rush forward to help, but I yelled out to stop. The commander marched forward and put a bullet in the center of the child's forehead just as the rest of the insect's body appeared. It slumped to the floor, twitching with blood oozing from the bullet hole. Gunfire shook the room as they unleashed a lethal barrage of bullets as more and more insects emerged. I could feel the hair on my skin being singed as flamethrowers were sprayed toward the tunnel. I couldn't comprehend how anything could get me through that much firepower, but there were just too many of them. The commander grabbed onto me and ordered me to go out the doors and seal them behind me. I couldn't believe what he was saying and stood there, unmoving. He slapped me across the face and told me to follow his instructions. I was about to argue with him when one of the insects managed to avoid the onslaught and flew directly at the commander, slicing off the top of his head. It fell to the ground and he blinked a few times before going deathly still. I ran for the door as the sounds of gunfire intensified behind me. I waited at the far side of the door to see if the others would flee to safety. They stood side by side, fighting as a never-ending stream of insects and former comrades emerged from the tunnel. I marveled at how courageous they were as, one by one, they were cut down until there was only one left. He clutched the flamethrower and sprayed it at any insect that got too close. My heart sank as the flamethrower ran out, and he stood there alone and defenseless. He didn't make a sound, even as the insects tore him limb from limb. A single tear fell down my cheek as I realized that no one would probably ever know how bravely he had died. I swung the door shut and listened as the bolts clicked into place. I collapsed to the floor in exhaustion and listened to the sounds of tapping on the far side of the door. I pray that this door will hold. As if it doesn't, then I hope to God that there is an afterlife. Between 1991 and 93, American author John Anthony West and his team of archaeologists conducted a series of geological and seismic surveys around the Great Sphinx of Giza. 
The resulting seismogram indicated the existence of several unexplored tunnels and cavities in the bedrock beneath the monument, the most notable of which was a chamber located at an approximate depth of 25 feet beneath its front paws. Following the remarkable discovery, the team was abruptly and rather suspiciously expelled from the site by the Egyptian authorities, which inspired a slew of increasingly outlandish conspiracy theories. Around that time was when we got involved. I'll refrain from disclosing who we exactly are, or were, rather. Think of us as a group of independent contractors that specialized in the procurement study and safekeeping of, let's call it, Anomalous paraphernalia, the type of unconventional curiosities that require a special touch to handle. We arrived in Giza during the summer of 94. Local government had tasked us with the excavation and transportation of whatever valuables lay buried beneath the 73-meter-long statue, a rather tame job compared to our usual ventures. The officials we spoke to claimed ignorance, emphasizing that they weren't actually certain whether there was anything down there in the first place, anomalous or otherwise. However, on the off chance that there were indeed relics of immense cultural significance stashed there, they didn't want to risk having them dug up by some nosy tourists instead. I don't like this, sir. We're being sent in blind. My assistant, whom... I've renamed Brian for the purpose of the story, muttered under his breath as we both stood overlooking the monolith. In the distance past it, partially obscured by a shifting fog of dust, stood the iconic trio of pyramids, their perfectly symmetrical peaks reaching toward the orange-tinted sky above. Brian turned to face me, the glare of the descending sun reflecting off his circular glasses. With his boyish perm and inquisitive blue eyes, he reminded me of a college freshman more than he did a professional that had nearly a decade of experience under his belt. I flashed him a dismissive smile and produced another cigarette from my breast pocket. Pissing your britches already, I teased over the incessant whirring of the excavation drill. I just have a bad feeling about this one is all. If the job is as straightforward as they say, why hire us? We're clearly overqualified for this. I shrugged while expectantly clasping the unlit cigarette between my lips. Brian registered the hint and started rummaging through his own pockets, eventually fishing out a lighter and handing it over. We're through, exclaimed a voice in the background. We were met with the sight of our senior seismologist half jogging toward us. His face was red and glistening with perspiration, but there was a proud grin concealed beneath that unkempt mustache of his. We're through, he breathlessly repeated once he was closer to us. You're good to go. Did you take a look at what's down there? Brian inquired. There was a mixture of impatience and unease clearly audible in his tone. Our colleague wiped his forehead with his sleeve. He looked over his shoulder in the limestone colossus in whose shadow he was standing. The statue's inanimate eyes stared back in turn, partially eroded expression ever stoic and unflinching. I managed to snatch a peek. Chamber seems pretty empty to me. Kind of anticlimactic, if I'm honest. Wait, what do you mean... empty? Precisely what I said, laddie. Nothing down there, as far as I can tell. No urns, no parchments, no gold. Just a ceiling and four walls. Nothing but dust between them. Think somebody beat us to it? I chimed in, expelling a stream of smoke through my nostrils. 
Improbable, but not impossible, I suppose. That'll be for you two to confirm. I nodded, drew one final whiff from my cancer stick, and then snuffed it against the scalding sand with my heel. Right. Let's get this done. There's a cold pint with my name on it back at HQ. Moments later, Brian and I were waddling toward the base of the Sphinx, donned in hazmat suits and armed with a pair of industrial flashlights. You'd be surprised how often the purportedly cursed items we were sent to retrieve were just radioactive or comprised of hazardous materials. Quite regularly, in fact. I approached the gaping drill hole near the statue's right paw, lowered myself to a sitting position, and started climbing down it via rope ladder. Followed it closely by my incredulous protege. Darkness enveloped us both. As soon as my feet hit what felt like solid ground, I retreated back a few steps and flicked on my torch. Guess he was right, I remarked, voice amplified by the transmitter affixed to my respirator. I was standing in the middle of a cavernous subterranean space that indeed held nothing at first glance, both of value and in general. Particles floated past the beams of artificial light that we wielded, kicked up by our movements throughout the hollow chamber. Sand trickled from cracks in the ceiling, its integrity undoubtedly compromised by the massive borehole from which we descended. Though this place resembled no tomb, it could have been ours if we chose to linger for too long. Time-worn iconography decorated the walls, featuring your usual cast of deities. There was the ram-headed form of Ra standing atop his solar bark, flanked by Sia and Hekka as they sailed across the underworld. Nearby was a betrayal of Osiris, sitting on his throne, his wife Isis, dutifully at his side and wise, Thoth acting as their scribe. Of course, there was the enigmatic Anubis, depicted tending to the deceased or passing judgment upon them. And then there was another figure that I couldn't quite recognize and yet featured quite prominently. The deity was near identical to his jackal-headed counterpart, distinguished solely by his more militant garb than the weapons he held, usually a bow or a curved blade. Further imagery consistently depicted the Cynocephalus fighting some sort of beast as though engaged in an internal rivalry with the creature. Some murals illustrated the four-legged monster consuming its adversary and ushering an age of strife. Others portrayed the warrior god as the victor, standing above his slain foe while soldiers, priests, and peasants alike rejoiced. Uh, sir? I looked back at Brian, who in turn had his flashlight raised toward the farthermost wall of the chamber, illuminating it. Below a gilded etching of the anonymous god with his kopesh raised above his canine head was the lid of a sarcophagus standing upright and partially embedded within the sandstone itself, its painted likeness observing us from across the room. Yes, the place was a tomb after all, albeit an unusually spacious empty one. Sand crunched beneath our boots as we advanced toward our find. I was the one leading the charge, of course, with Brian in tow. As I got closer, I began to notice more details about the anthropoid coffin, namely the contrast between its distinctly human face and the cat-like paws folded to its body. Egyptian coffins were rarely made to represent what their occupant actually looked like, so the occasional creative liberty wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And yet, 
I couldn't help but draw parallels between its design and the half-human, half-feline monument beneath which it was located. An unlikely coincidence, to be certain. I placed my gloved hand over the vertical lid and leaned closer. There were no gaps to speak of. It was as if the wall had been bolded around the sarcophagus, fitting it like a cast. It was an admittedly bothersome but hardly unconquerable obstacle, given the heavy-duty equipment the lads on the surface had at their disposal. Sir, what are you doing? What does it look like? Aren't you being a bit too handsy? We don't know what's inside. Some dead bloke? Look, mate, if you're so worried, why don't you just... I almost bit through my own tongue as a sudden surge of pain assaulted my head. It felt as if someone had stabbed my brain with a dagger, twisting and driving it deeper as the pain kept amplifying. It was horrible. Maddening. I stumbled back, uselessly clawing at my visor. There was no escaping it. I would have gladly accepted death if it meant a reprieve from this hell. My balance was quick to falter. I was reduced to squirming on the ground like a snail doused in salt, desperate for relief. The last thing I saw was the outline of my assistant looming over me and reaching for his handheld radio in a panic-stricken fit before everything faded to black. I'm not sure how long I stayed in that place. Days, years, centuries perhaps. The concept of linear time had lost all of its meaning. All there was was the infinite void. It was a barren, dark, quiet place where absence reigned supreme. At first I feared the emptiness. Let it drive me to the brink of insanity, but I eventually became part of it. As you drift through the abyss without direction, without purpose, all you feel is apathy. You aren't content to be there, per se, but leaving seems like such an impossibility that it isn't even worth considering. You are no one in a universe of nothing. You don't even exist. You are nothing, and nothing's only purpose is to be nothing until made into something. And then, there was a light. Multiple, to be precise. I'd compared them to the stars in the night sky if they didn't seem so close. They were more like... A constellation of the moons, their silver brilliance gleaming against the expanse of knee-deep water I was apparently now standing in. I looked down for the first time on what felt like millennia, confirming that I was indeed whole. Nude, but whole. Warm waves of unknown origin splashed against my thighs and caressed the tips of my fingers. It was soothing, like ointment for the inflamed wound that was my abused psyche. Unfortunately, my moment of tranquility was meant to be just that, a fleeting moment. It would appear that with age does not always come wisdom. Hmm? The disembodied voice brought with it echoes of that hellish pain. I winced and grabbed both sides of my throbbing head, trying to keep my skull from splitting apart. 
Thankfully, it subsided rather quickly compared to the last time. When I next opened my eyes, I saw there was an elderly man standing in front of me and looking back. Believe me, I know, he added with a toothless smile. Though the stranger's face was a crisscross of wrinkles and faded scars, age had certainly spared his posture. He was roughly as tall as I was, maybe even taller, and he had the body of an athlete that was nowhere near past his prime. The man's broad physique was draped in a simple, silken tunic, which transitioned into a kilt that brushed against the surface of the shallow sea. The most unique element of his ensemble, however, was undoubtedly the wolf pelt that he wore as a scarf, with the dead animal's skull mounted onto one of his shoulders like some sort of morbid ornament. Who... who are you? I finally asked. Every word spoken took a life of its own, reverberating throughout the ether. The old man tucked a wispy strand of pale hair behind his ear, then sighed in disappointment. You invade my temple, attempt to ransack it, and yet you do not even know who I am. His tone made me feel like a child getting scolded by their parent. I had the urge to apologize for my ignorance, but he never gave me the chance. It cannot be helped, I suppose. My brother was always the favorite. I'm referred to as Wepowets by your kind. You may now grovel, should you like. I could have sworn I noticed something flicker in the missing eyes of the wolf head the moment he pronounced his name. If his intonation hadn't been so blatantly sarcastic, I would have dropped my knees and pleaded for my soul without an inkling of dignity. Instead, I looked back to the glowing orbs pinned against the black canvas above us. Where am I? was the next obvious question, which he answered with a question of his own. Where do you think you are? Am I dead? No, no. Eternal rest is reserved for the deserving. You, friend, have set in motion something that you must now correct. He unclasped his hands from behind his back and made a swirling motion with his finger. I'm not sure if I turned around on my own volition or if I was compelled to do so, but regardless, I wish I hadn't. There, towering in the distance, was something truly titanic. Its existence was impossible, a creature the size of a city, maybe even a small country, The more I tried wrapping my mind around it, the larger it appeared, refusing to relinquish the impact of its sheer magnitude. It wasn't content with simply occupying my field of view. No, it sought to ensure that my feeble mind could never fully grasp its ubiety. There were bronze chains cutting into the behemoth's side, and metal rods each dwarving the tallest structure ever built by man, nailing its paws to the platform atop which it was raised. Forests of fur covered its enormous mass like the slopes of a mountain, but it was the head at the pinnacle of the bestial body that petrified me. I can't bring myself to describe it. 
I've tried, believe me. But whenever I dwell on that accursed visage for too long, my mind spirals. It's like a black hole warping and consuming any independent thought that dares exist alongside it. If to be human is to be the center of one's own universe, then that thing was more human than any of us will ever be. Beautiful, is she not? I wither and yet she remains unchanged since our very first battle. I lowered my eyes to my trembling hands, which I noticed were dripping with murky, sanguine fluid. The water we trod wasn't water at all. How? How can something bleed so much and never die? You ask many questions, friend. The being that presented himself as an old man now swayed beside me, calm as a morning breeze, despite standing in a literal ocean of blood. I have always hated that about your kind, so many questions with nothing to offer in return. I pried my lips, but before I could utter the first syllable of what would have likely been another witless inquiry, one of the massive chains restraining the equally massive beast suddenly snapped. Both pieces of it fell to the ground with a distant rumble, followed by a tremor that nearly knocked me off my feet. And then another shackle came off, and then another. As I watched that impossible creature with the face of a wreathful goddess begin to rise from its podium, eclipsing to the lights littering the sky with its own cruel radiance, there was only one truth left to declare. It's going to devour us all. Indeed, the old man confirmed while he leisurely circled around me. You, you, you have to kill that thing before it's too late. Oh, I have. More times than you can count. Yet she always comes back stronger, hungrier than ever before. While I grow weaker with each passing century. My followers knew that, so they converted my temple to a tomb and trapped her essence within it. That is, until your people came along. Images of the ornate sarcophagus Brian and I found flashed before my eyes. It was getting loaded into one of our trucks. Perhaps there was still hope for it had not yet been opened. I took a deep breath, inhaled the stench of copper that polluted the stagnant air, and mustered the courage to face the stranger's true form for the first time. The burning eyes of the wolf god, Wepulwet, pierced my wretched soul with flames of enlightenment. Tell me what I must do. Next thing I knew, I was lying in my tent, sprawled across a sleeping bag. Brian was pacing nervously nearby. He was overwhelmed with relief to see me conscious again. A side of his prudent personality I was rarely privy to. I lured the poor body into a heartfelt embrace when I drove my master's blade between his ribs. The blessed knife slid easily past the protective suit he had yet to remove as if it was no obstacle at all. It's okay. I got you. It'll be over soon. I whispered in the ear of the closest thing to a son that I'd ever had. His expression still haunts my nightmares. Seeing the fear and betrayal in those blue eyes was the worst thing I'd experienced thus far. I held back tears as I 
grabbed a fistful of his hair and craned his head back. Then I ended his struggles with a subsequent slit across the throat, allowing his lifeless shell to slump to my lap. Having taken my first life, the rest came almost naturally. Dawn lined the desert horizon in faint reds and yellows. I couldn't help but marvel at it for a bit before resuming to drag the body of my final colleague toward that bloody borehole. Sorry, mate, was all that I could think to say as I took the truck keys from his pocket and pushed him down into the chamber with the rest. He landed on the pile with a muffled thud. Given the circumstances, it was the closest thing to a burial that I could offer them before the local authorities came snooping. I'm not sure whether they're still down there or if the government had them pulled out before filling the pit. It didn't really matter, I suppose. All that mattered was getting myself and the sarcophagus far, far away from that place. I wiped a bead of sweat from my brow and glanced up at the stony visage of the Sphinx one final time. I, of course, knew that what I was doing was ultimately futile. Sooner or later, she's going to break loose from the chains that bind her and exact her revenge upon all of existence. There will be no gods left to stop her, no tomb or coffin large enough to contain her. But then again, is it not just so painfully human to try and delay the inevitable? Something moving down in the tunnel caught my eye and a cold sense of dread filled me as I saw it was thousands of those insects. He dragged me to my feet and demanded to know if there was anyone else alive down there. Shut up. It was at least ten feet thick, and I knew this was 